Here we are on the 23rd day of June. Stanley Cup finals suddenly a win away from being settled, potentially. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. My name is Ryan Pinder. We're here with GVP, Patrick Dumas, and it's all for our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery, proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Check them out at their taproom and restaurant in the Curry Barracks. Or you can find your favorite Wild Rose beers in liquor stores and bars around the province. Kevin Woodley of Ingold Magazine. It must be Thursday at around 9.08 a.m. Kev, how are we? What's it like on the West Coast? Uh, there are signs of summer. hasn't come yet, but there are signs it's coming this week. So uh, we might actually get into the 20s. I'm kind of liking that idea for a change. Yeah. I haven't, haven't seen that this year. So Well, the days are getting yeah, shorter, so you got to really soak these up these days that we can flirt with 20, right? Yeah, well, I mean, hey, we basically have had a spring and summer that looks like most of our winters with all the rain, so we'll take it. Yeah, but they got Kuzmenko, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh, – I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see where the dominoes fall after that one. Yeah, add a middle six forward to a team where the excesses, if any, are up front, especially in terms of, you know, top six talent. Like, that's mm-hmm. where – you know, there are a lot of strengths on this team other than, you know, Demko, but that's certainly one. Um, and given the contract status of, you know, JT Miller with a year left and Besser as a RFA with a, you know, massive qualifying offer coming, uh, you got to figure that something else has got to give here if they're going to be able to free up cap space and make changes around the, the, the area of real concern on this team, which is, you know, sort of your bottom six mix and your defense obviously is just not good enough. So hmm. uh, I think we could be in for a real wild month here um, or, or the coming few weeks uh, in the draft and into free agency in terms of the Canucks and potentially big names on the move. Yeah, no, we had Dan Murphy on uh, earlier today. It's, it's, it's interesting. This management team is, I think, very, very dialed into where the franchise is at in its life cycle. This is not a team that's going to hang a banner in the next year, and they've got to operate as such rather than the prior regime, which always said, hey, we're a contender, even though everyone squinted and said, what? You know, you're not a contender. Uh, so, yeah, I think some interesting decisions ahead there. Uh, let's go to last night in Tampa. Thoughts on game four and thoughts on, I guess, well, I mean, there's controversy. I I I don't know that anyone saw it live and, and threw their hands up, but technically, yeah, there was too many, and Nazem Kadri was way into the play before Nathan McKinnon was within five feet of the bench. Yeah, you know, and it's a tough look, obviously, in retrospect, like you said, uh, at the time when they when the goal goes in, I don't think anybody saw it live. Um, and I'm kind of on the fence on this a little while, like, it's clearly he's clearly on too early, and yet we see that go uncalled. I think on a somewhat regular basis, there there were certainly a lot more blatant calls that weren't made from the third period on in that game mm-hmm. uh, than that. I actually have a question: Am I wrong here? Because I kind of I'll be honest with you, Ryan. I kind of turned it off and then woke up to all that this morning. Okay. And my my question is: As McKinnon leaves, does he ever clear the zone? And if not. Does that not does whether he's on the bench or not? Does he not become an offside player? And was would if if Tampa was on top of it, is that not challengeable? I mean, I know he's got one like when you the tag up rule, for example, is you have to get both feet outside the zone because they're the long change in the first overtime. I'm not sure he ever does. The right foot's inside the zone or on the blue line the whole time as he's waiting to change, and the puck enters the zone. Is that not offside? Is that not? I didn't think of that. 
I'll say this though: the the, the freeze frame, the freeze frame, everyone's showing doesn't mean anything because he's he's off the ice by the, the the wording of the rule there. What what means something is when did Cotter get on? Where where was he's McKinnon off, then? He's off the ice in ter- he's off the ice in terms of okay, he's off the ice in terms of eligible to like no longer counting as too many men by the time he gets to the bench. Mm-hmm. But watch where he, watch where his feet are relative to the blue line because he never he never leaves the offensive zone when that puck does. So it's not like he's just lingering there. He, he he got into the neutral zone, and now he's gone back to the bench, which is fine, because that's a tag up. I don't think both feet ever leave the zone before the puck comes back in. Interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, boy, some good goaltending last night. You must like that. Yeah, and uh, you know Darcy Kemper full value in the. I, I think you saw like a real not a statement, but that was a big first period for him, right? Especially after he got blasted in the helmet and the, the way that first goal goes in. Um, not that I mean, at that level, you expect them to battle. They're not going to give up because of one bad break. But I thought he made some really good saves in the first period. And then I thought, frankly, I was kind of hoping to have uh, the metrics in front of me uh, by this time this morning. I don't because I'm willing to bet that if I sort after the first period, there's just nothing for Tampa Bay. So as good as he was yeah. in the first period, and that's that's where the game could have changed. They just they got they could not get it. It was right back to game two. They got nothing inside the Colorado defense. They were never sort of in the house and behind Colorado's players. There were not a ton of good looks. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that the expected goals or the high danger chances after the first period just fall off a cliff. And that's credit to Colorado as well. So, um, you know, I thought, I thought Darcy had the one, the one blip, uh, but that game could have been two or three, nothing in the first period, if not for him. And you know, to me, that's why you always started him ahead of Franco's, um, as long as you thought he was healthy, the upside's just higher. Um, and it sort of always has been. And even in totality, with everyone pointing to Frenzos being 6-0, and uh, his adjusted numbers are right down there with Darcy's. Neither one of them are great, frankly. It looks like the Colorado Avalanche are going to um, win a Stanley Cup with, frankly, not just average goaltending. I've seen that statement. But statistically, well below average goaltending. That's how good the team is. We talked about it. Yeah. Like uh, Darcy yeah. Kemper allows two. You did your job. I don't care how ugly they are. <laughs> like he, he's, uh, it's done, weird. They've done what Carolina's tried to do all totally. these years: yep. win, win, win without the need to invest big time in goal. No, 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 see I, what decisions they make going forward too. I will push back a little on that though, because it wasn't like Darcy Kemper was who was left at the carousel, and they said these guys are all voodoo. We'll take anyone. They went and paid to get Kemper, but to your point, he hasn't been anything close to an elite goalie. Yeah, they went and paid to get Kemper because they needed something in the starter range, right? You couldn't just go in with Francois, and and they have nothing coming in the minors either. By the way, like they don't have a, you know, a pipeline of great goaltending talent on the way or in the immediate future. So they needed someone who was established, but they specifically balked. Like they set the market on Grubauer, they were not going to pay above five million five years the Robin Lehner deal. And when Grubauer wanted more, they just walked, right? So they weren't. They weren't willing to sort of compromise what they invested in goaltending long term, um, outside of sort of what they believe. And they, yeah, yeah, you're right. They, that left them in the spot of having to go get Darcy Kemper, mm-hmm. but they got Darcy Kemper for one year, right? They, they have they're not locked into him. They're not looking at Seattle's problem right now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, and, and it's a good point. They, they paid a steep price in a first and a prospect, but it's going to be a late first. You know that. 
And I think they they valued the flexibility of having nothing on the books in a year rather when they do have to start, you know, paying some of these other guys with the number of UFAs they've got up, Nachushkin, Kadri, Johnson, amongst others, another year until Nathan McKinnon. They didn't want to lock into a goalie that had term. I, I would believe that. What does it mean for Kemper if he can win a cup? Because he will be a UFA this summer. That uh, that rarely happens. A goalie wins a cup and bingo, there's, there he is as UFA. I'm curious to see what this does for the market. Um, especially, don't forget, like he won a world championship last year too, right? So that's, mm. I mean, obviously not the same thing, but there's a pedigree that comes with that. Um, listen, Darcy Kemper in the second half of the season uh, sort of vaulted up the adjusted save percentage rankings. Like he was, he got, he sort of ended ended the year just outside the top ten, Ryan. So it's not like he's, you know, like he's not a bad goalie. And actually, I thought as the year went on, he got comfortable. He just hasn't ever had a great playoffs, and yep, some of that is injuries. So. Um, I think you have to to keep that in mind. I'm I, I, I'm curious to see whether he ends up staying there. Like if he's comfortable, I don't know that based on that body of work, based on what we all know, like we can all see it. The numbers back it up. We know what Colorado is doing defensively, especially in this Cup final. Is there any other team that's watching the, these playoffs and going, man, Darcy Kemper could be the difference for us. We gotta have that guy. Let's go. Let's go overpay. I don't think so. And so, um, you know, Colorado will probably do what they did with Grubauer. They'll they'll pick a number and they won't go past it. And if he's willing to stay, I could see him staying. Like, because uh, I don't know that there's a break, break the bank contract out there for Darcy Kemper based on this season or based on his work to date career wise, even, even if there's a Stanley Cup attached to his name, you know, in a couple of days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thoughts on Vasilevsky? The, uh, Boy, they've needed him in this series. We knew that was going to be the yeah. case, and, and I, you could certainly make the case that uh, he's the best goalie in the world still, but for a team on the, the brink of a dynasty, they sure have needed their goalie to be a, a star, or they're not winning. Yeah, they're sort of back to where they started, right? Um, they're they're leaning heavily on him. They're, they're getting outplayed. Uh, like you said, the ice kind of tilted after that first period, and it certainly was in overtime. <laughs> Actually, to me, uh, the, the thing I dislike the most about Kadri's goal um, was the fact we didn't get a replay of the left pad save that he made in the flurry right before that puck was cleared? Because <laughs> I literally was off my couch at that one. That was remarkable. So you're you're sort of seeing that Gumby like flexibility, you know, taking pucks away on on what look like open nets on back doors quite often in these last couple of games. Uh, it's taking crazy bounces to beat him, and yet there have been other times where, um, you know, where outside of sort of the flurries and the junk in front of him, they've created dynamic offense, and they when they've had time and space to target certain things, um, you know, your criticism at this point, like it's so easy to criticize goaltending because you're nitpicking every little thing because you've seen these guys all through the playoffs and you've seen every team try and find weaknesses and target them. Um, but there have been times there has been exposure here, especially on that a lot of talk about the blocker side. Um, he seems to be sort of setting up and overplaying almost almost baiting them to go to that side and then what it what it causes is on those shots he's actually moving into them rather than being a little more set and so you're seeing a few more pucks go under the block or go under the arm that maybe we're used to for the best goalie in the world but overall on a whole outside of game two he's been brilliant yeah and i think that the mantle is still his like he he's you win back-to-back championships you'll get his record in those following a loss, elimination games. Like, he's just been so money for this group. They've won 11 series in a row with him for all of them. 
He makes nine and a half million, and that feels like money well spent. I believe this is year one of an eight-year deal that keeps him in Tampa, probably for you know the rest of uh, his playing career, or close to it. But it's not always a good idea to spend nine and a half plus on a goalie. And just in the same state, the same tax-friendly state, they went over nine and a half to the number ten to get Sergei Bobrovsky, who at the time was the only two-time Vesna winner. And I don't know what uh, what Florida's going to do with it because it's it's more money than they can allocate to the kind of net mining they've been getting, and they have a great prospect behind them, and they're really hungry for cap space to make some moves. Well, it sounds like, and 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 I was told this this week that um, you know not not only are they looking to move Bob, but in terms of how much of that ten million a year they're willing to eat, uh, it sounds like it's as much as half. Um, so. And the question becomes, I mean, I don't think you're ever going to have anybody answer, oh, yeah, Sergei Bobrovsky is worth, worth $10 million. But when you look at sort of what, you know, what, goal, what $5 million gets you for goaltending, that's, that's a more interesting question. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get Bob at $5 million, but keeping in mind how many years are left on that deal, I think it's four after this one. Um, I, and you look at where the bar now is for number one. Like, don't forget, Shuster can just sign. Last year, his extension was five point six. Markstrom is six. Like there's been a that six, six is kind of the number now. UFA. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of guys, if they're not UFA, are getting in at five, right? Like right, yeah, yeah. in at five, and so you know, I think I think that as much as the nine and a half on Vasilevsky makes sense because of what he is for that team and and who he is and how consistent he is, and the key though is how much he plays. Because if the new trend, and we're seeing, we see Saros not make it through the year, we see Demko not make it through the year. If the new trend is, man, we got to start looking at 50-55 games instead of 60-65, down from 70 for a number one goaltender, can we allocate that much money when we also need to make sure we're spending for a quality 1B or backup or, and, and have depth right through 3 and 4? Um, so at $5 million, when I do some of the comparables, I still have questions about whether – I mean, there's risks in taking Bob at even $5 million. I think a lot of teams um, would love him at five on one or two years, but it's the four years. Where is he going to be? We know it's a volatile position. Uh, If I know I can go spend five and get a good goalie in free agency every summer, why do I have to be committed to one guy for four years? I really think this is a term issue uh, with Bobrovsky, Um, not a where do you stand in the goaltending hierarchy thing. Well, but even within the goaltending hierarchy, even as good as this, this was a bounce back year for him, right? Yeah. This was that's what I, how everyone saw it. His adjusted save percentage was thirty second in the league, and he was below expected. That's a pretty good environment in Florida. And what we saw with Chris Dreger is for all the success that he had in Florida, and there were some mitigating factors in terms of adjusting to a new team and. You know, Seattle, for all the talk about how they were going to be a great defensive team, really wasn't very goalie-friendly in the first half of the season. They got better as the year went on, but a lot of numbers got sewered in that first half when they just they weren't. They didn't play to the identity they were built for. But, you know, at this, in the same breath, when you looked at the numbers that Chris Dreger put up and then you checked the sort of relative numbers, you know, adjusted for shot quality, um, you know, you, you saw that a lot. That, that was a very goalie-friendly environment, and Bob's been playing behind the same one. And so, even last year, where the numbers appear, you know, the raw numbers appear to take a jump, and all of a sudden he looks like he's you know, like, hey, there's there's signs that Bob's back, and there's certainly moments where he was really good. But on a whole, you know, when you look at adjusted numbers still being negative, and you say five billion dollars, even if it were just for a couple of years, pedigree or not, mm-hmm. um, you're expecting above 
average goaltending. And even in a bounce back year, he was below average. Man. And then the other conundrum is you're, you're marking all this money at 10 right now, never mind five, to a goalie yeah, that um, at some point, real quick here, if it hasn't happened already, is your second best goalie. And, and you're probably, um, it's in your best interest to get lots of crease time for Spencer Knight as he continues to develop. Yeah, and that's going to be the important thing. And that's where they got stuck this year is, you know, they finally sent Spencer down to the American Hockey League late in the season. There were there were plans to do that and sort of taxi squad him back and forth off that. Well, he doesn't need to clear waivers. Use that to their advantage to get him games. Like, hey, if it's a weekend and we know Bob's playing, say we play Friday, Sunday, or, you know, Saturday, Monday, and the, the farm team's got three and three, let's send Spencer down there. We know Bob's playing both in Florida. We'll put whoever on the bench. Let's send Spencer down to get some games on the weekend. Uh, Nashville did it with UC Soros. Columbus did it with Corpus Salo for years. Like it's a great way to sort of balance the two and make sure your prospect gets the NHL experience, but also um, doesn't lose the overall games played he needs at that age. And they intended to do that, but COVID and, and health issues got in the way uh, a number of times this year, and they didn't get to do it till sort of late in the season. So that's a real problem for them. Um, I don't think Spencer played enough games this year, frankly. Uh, and you know, you risk stunting his development if he's sitting on a bench too often in the National Hockey League. And, and there's a, hey, listen, there's also a risk, frankly, in um, just handing him that job and expecting him yep. to be the number one. His his adjusted numbers and his lack of experience, like he's been good, um, but once again, you know, relative to short of shot quality, the raw numbers don't tell the full story. There's still a learning curve there for him, I believe, as well. I, I don't think I'm alone in Calgary in thinking it would be an amazing plot twist if always connected Dustin Wolf and uh, Spencer Knight, if Wolf became the better goalie. One went high in the first round, the other with the seventh round. One backed up the other at World, uh, you know, under 18s, World Juniors, all that stuff. Like, it just would be so beautiful for Flames fans to finally see a goaltending story break in their direction after trading up to get Trevor Kidd in the Marty Brodeur draft year and all the blunders they've made with goalies over the years. Mason McDonald, now, you know, the kid from the the London Knights that they took in the second round. Uh, you know, Brent Cron, eight overall, played 20 minutes in the league, injuries, bad luck. Like, they they have had so many bad cookie crumbles on goalies. It would, I think it would just be a delicious twist of irony that Knight and Wolf forever linked if Wolf was turned out to be the better guy at the end of the line. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, at this point, they're both really good goalie prospects. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you won't find a bigger Wolf fan than, than me. Um but I'm, I'm also I'm also Spencer Knight's also a hell of a goalie. So let's just say that uh, I think both teams could get incredible goalies at opposite ends of the draft, and yeah. they should both be, they'll both be happy with it. Yeah, and that's that's the draft with goalies. Like Shesterkin wasn't a high pick. It's, and some of the great ones are. One of them that was is Mark Andre Fleury. Do you see a reunion in Minnesota making sense? Uh, never mind the money, because Minnesota's now into a really really tough spot with the cap, and they got one year left on Talbot's deal. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see it. Um, I think, you know, much like the decision in terms of where he would go at the trade deadline, you know, this is something where the only guy who really knows what's going on is Marc-Andre Fleury. Because at this stage in his career, um, it's, you know, it's about fit, it's about comfort, and it's about family. And only he can answer where he's comfortable. It certainly seemed like that was a good fit. He was comfortable with the team and with uh, the way they played, even if the playoffs didn't go um, the way way anybody wanted, uh, I, I just think that was also a bad matchup for them. Like they just never matched up against St. Louis all year. It was just a, a bad matchup for them. 
and that continued in the playoffs. Uh, the bigger question is, like, like clearly family settled in Chicago. I don't think they want to stay there long term, but for the year they stayed there while he moved to Mini. It's got to be a place where he's comfortable. So he, if he's comfortable with his family in Mini, like I don't think Mark Andre Fleury at this point is chasing dollar bills. So if you think there's a chance to win there mm-hmm. and his family would be comfortable, then I could see a fit. But the only person that can answer that, the rest of us are guessing. Mark's the only Flowers, the only guy that kind of knows you know, what he's thinking and whether that would be a spot that fits him. I mean, it would be interesting to see. You know, it's funny, I don't think there's ever going to be a reunion in Vegas, but given all the goaltending troubles that they have and the fact that they just went out and got a head coach who's probably finally going to tighten things up defensively there, um, hmm. that's a spot where he's obviously beloved. And the environment just got a whole lot easier, in my opinion, just based on the, the change from DeBoer to Cassidy. I think that's likely. That it, You always wonder about it, but I think there's just probably too much water under that bridge for him to go back as much as he enjoyed, um, you know, not just on ice and the relationship with the fans, but his family enjoyed Vegas by all accounts as well. I, I could run down the whole UFA list and talk about RFAs and, and tell you my evil scheme for an offer sheet, but that, that's, that's all evergreen stuff at this point. We've got more pressing issues. I did want to ask you about torts in Philly, and is this going to be – uh, finally an environment that Carter Hart can succeed in, or, or are we laughing if we think that a blue line that struggled so mightily for so long in front of him would, would turn the corner that quick? Uh, I mean, certainly we've seen uh, bumps under new coaches and philosophies, you know, shifts in philosophy. Like, like Defending is not always about, you know, we've seen it with Barry Trotz teams. Defending is not always about talent. Defending is about mindset being on the same page execution and a willingness to work and so if torts can get that out of a group that you know has not had a very strong um uh defensive focus in the past couple of years then absolutely this could be a good thing for carter hart i really don't worry i've had a lot of people ask me like oh torts the personality is that going to be is that the end for carter um is that going to be a bad thing for carter I, i really don't worry about that side of things with him i think you know, he'll handle that. To me, the most fascinating thing is, do they make a change at the goalie coaching position? I think, um, you know, Kim Dillabaugh's, I, I believe, in his final year of the contract there. I think you're going to see more changes around the league. I think there's a few other names and a few other spots where there's there's guys in the final year that I haven't heard about extensions yet. And Kim's a guy that's been linked uh, probably because of Dave Haxtell pretty widely around the league um, in the goalie coaching community. They think he's going to end up in Seattle with Haxtell reunited there. Um, if the Flyers don't extend him. And so, you know, what, what I think that decision will be as or more important um, in terms of relationships for Carter Hart than hiring Torts. The, okay. the only thing that matters for Carter and Torts is can, can he finally get this team to defend better? Yeah. Uh, now that that's probably actually a really underrated sneaky needs a bounce back story. Like, is there, is there someone feeling more pressure to get back to who they were than, than, Philip Grubauer in Seattle, that really was supposed to be a crease-out type team, and uh, it went horribly for the Netminders. Yeah, and, and I mean, and now, you know, Dreger tears his ACL, making a save in the third period of the gold medal game for Canada. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a season, right? Like, like, he's out six to nine months now, and in reality, um, you know, as somebody who's torn an ACL, like, you never, you, you don't get back fully to, like, it's a full year even for the professional athletes, it's a full year before they they really feel themselves. And given the amount of stress and strain, 
uh, on the knees from the goaltending position. Although I will say, like, you can sort of ACL is not a joint that's stressed. It's more MCL for goalies. But, um, yeah, like, like they've got some tough decisions to make. They, they, they probably have to bring somebody in. Like I would think Joey so. Decord. Yeah. Yeah. Joey Decord sort of is sort of penciled as a, as a three. Um, Dredger's going to miss at least two thirds of the season, if not the whole thing. And, and what do you um, know you're going to get from, from uh, Grubauer? I feel like you need someone that you, that you, Hey, if it doesn't, if we have something that looks like last year, we need someone that can carry the mail. Like they're not looking for a 15 game backup here. They probably want a platoon mate. Yeah, and look at what they've invested in goaltending already. So, I, to me, it's I really don't know what the answers are there. Um, you know, I, I've had some some goalie coaches. I mean, anytime there's an opening uh, around the league, and there's one in Detroit, and by the sounds of it, Detroit's ahead of everyone else. Like this is what happens with um, the goalie coaching position. Quite often, teams just wait and they sort it out last. And the number of times I, I teams that have had vacancies that haven't bothered to take care of it. Until even like they have the draft and development camp, so like draft goalies will have young goalies coming into development camp, and no goalie coach to work with them because they just don't prioritize the hire um, for the openings that are out there right now. I think Detroit's into the process. Well, uh, I think Toronto started on the process. I'm not even sure if Seattle's gotten into the process yet. Um, so you, you you know I don't know I don't know where the voices are that allowed them to make those decisions in the first place in terms of you know Grubauer and Dreger. So. Um, I've had goalie coaches that, you know, normally you'd be jumping at the opportunity to get into one of those openings and they kind of look, um, at Seattle and they're like, Hey, like, am I, am I in a good spot here? Like, would this be, when I, when I look at what's coming up, is this a position where there's just not a lot of depth there and they're, you know, it's, it's pretty thin. Am I putting myself in a position to succeed? Um, you know, there's, Grubauer has been a good goalie behind good defensive teams. Like really that's it. Like the, we just talked at the beginning about how good Colorado is defensively. That's where most of his success came. His success prior to that was under Barry Trotz coach Washington Capitals team. So um, you need that identity for him. I think he does rely a little too much on sort of reads and rhythm and timing. Uh, there's a lot of extra moving parts in his game uh, that, that I think, you know, as long as they're there, uh, you're going to have ups and downs. Uh, and a reliance on sort of systems play in front of him and, and predictable systems play in front of him. So as the year went on, it got a, that got better and he got better. Maybe it's just a, an adjustment period and maybe he'll be fine next year. But there's a, there's a lot of ifs there. There's a lot of maybes there and not a lot of certainty after a down year for a guy, you know, who got paid just short of what Jacob Markstrom got to go to Calgary. And, and obviously mm-hmm. the results aren't even close. Not yet, no. Uh, the voting wasn't close. You didn't expect it to be. Igor Shosturkin ran away with the Vesna, 154 points. Uh, he had 29 of the 32 first-place votes. That's a lot. Uh, he only got first and second-place votes. Got, how does it – like, I want to know the three. Who gave Ilya Sorokin a first-place vote? Is that Are we assuming that's Lou Hamarillo and that's it? Like, well, it's GMs that vote, right? So it does have to be a GM. I, I, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, how did three guys think there was another goalie better this year? Yeah, I have a little trouble with that one. And the goalies they picked, um, like I don't even know that the three first-place votes, did any of them go to Markstrom or Saros off the top of my head? No, one, one went, went to Anderson, Anderson, one went to Vasilevsky, and one went to Sorokin. Could it just simply go. be the GMs of the Lightning Bolts and Islanders? Is it that simple? <laughs> I do hope not, but like, listen, and this is nothing against Billy Sorokin. He'll be in this conversation next year. Second half of the season, he was arguably the best goalie in the league statistically over the second half. 
Um, so he was worthy of consideration, but the first place vote, uh, frankly shocked me. And, um, again, like at the end of the day, the right guy won, that's all that matters, but it just goes to show you, um, amid an era where the PWHA has to, um, or PHWA professional hockey Writers association, everybody has to sort of make their ballots public and all that information is shared. Boy, would I like to sneak a peek at some of the oddities that yep. we get within the GM voting. Well, and it's for sure. it's just like the silly GM of the year award. They do it after the final four, and it's always three of the four final four GMs. And once it's like, oh, look, we got two of the final four GMs. Like, stop it. We, we see what you're doing here. Vote at the end of the regular season. And we'll see who really knows who the best GMs are, right? And show us your votes. But GMs aren't fun. They're, 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 they're lawyery types. No, they're not going to do that. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And so that's why I've said, and hey, listen, like I said, they got it right at least. So many years I would, I've argued that they don't. Uh, I could nitpick uh, Saros dropping to three, but yep. at the end of the day, the right, the right guy got the award. Uh, and frankly, you know, names like Shesterkin and, and Sorokin, um, Vasilevsky obviously has been for a while. I and mean, it's the first year in, what, four that he wasn't a finalist or first year in five that he wasn't mm. a finalist. Um, you know, there's another trend that you know, I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens at the draft in a couple of weeks. Um, Russia's still producing some of the, the best goalies in the world, obviously the best goalies in the world for the past number of years measured by the Vesna. Um, so the question becomes amidst everything else that's going on over there, uh, do we see a cooling on, on, on Russian goaltending draft picks in, in a pretty goalie week uh, year Plus. overall just because of, of, of the situation over there, despite the fact we all know that, that that's, where the, that's where the top talent is right now. Thanks for your time. We stole a lot of it. I hope you're well, and uh, we're cheering on for sunshine out there. Well, regardless, and, and I should have dropped you a note before, regardless of whether there's sunshine out here next week, I will be in Honolulu, so we might oh. have to skip one. Buddy. Oh, wow. We'll grant so, uh, it. Little, we'll... little family surf trip, so we might have to. And that makes that makes my hit six a.m. Honolulu time. My you friend. are so off the hook. You enjoy the surf. You you'll get sun there. I'll guarantee that. You'll also get rain every day, but it won't matter. It'll be just to cool you off. It's perfect. Yeah, just don't go in the water when it's raining. That's what the locals tell you. Sure, listen to the locals on everything. They know where the cheap food is too. See you, buddy. Yeah, hey, hey, let me tell you, the sharks don't like humans. They just can't see them when it's raining and muddy. So that's the rule. There you go. Appreciate it. See ya. In a couple of weeks, bud. Yeah, okay, bye. bye. There you are. Woodley, not next week. Chew on that one, whoever's working the nine. <laughs> Matt, where are you at? We'll figure it Marty. out. Marty? Marty Rose. I think we're getting to the point where we actually have to bring the real Marty Rose in. We can do the Matt and Marty yeah, show. Yeah, Matt and Marty in the morning. <laughs> Let's do it. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Both seem like good guys to me. I know one for sure is a good guy. The other guy seems to have a sense of humor. They both have a good sense of humor. Yeah, go. 938, we'll take a break. It's uh, Sportsnet today for Wild Rose Brewery. Highly recommending that you know what it is? This is a tap room day. Look at it outside. Hey. Go for maybe like a chili. Go for a soup and a pint. Oh. Some chili. Oh, this is chili day. Look at this. Get out of here, Rain. What are you doing? Get out of here. I thought we were done with this. Uh, the restaurant tap room, the curry barracks, or just, you know what? Maybe you just stay at home and, and enjoy your favorite Wild Rose beers you can find at uh, liquor stores around the province. It's up to you. Sportsnet 960 the fan. Game five, Friday night. We'll have it right here because we're carrying them all. It's your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960. The fan, welcome to Sportsnet today. Interestingly, uh, later on, it'll be Sportsnet tonight. Santa Persina's in the house. Dustin Forbes as well. 
Awesome. That goes 7 o'clock. That'll follow. Flames Talk and the Unnamed Football Hour. Big show at 1 today and a replay at noon. What are we going to hear at noon? We're going to hear uh, Jason Lockenfora and uh, Dan Murphy again. There you go. So we'll get the uh, the skinny on exactly what in the world is going on with uh, Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield's still on payroll there, but don't show up. We don't like you or we're done with you. Weirdness. A uh, huge creep and noted billionaire owner of the Washington, whatever their names are, Dan Snyder, also in some hot water. That'll be on the replay uh, and part of that conversation with Lack and Fora. Dan Murphy on where the Canucks are at. I think they got better mirrors in Vancouver now. Yeah, they got they know who the they're guiding the guiding the ship there. I think you know you know what I mean by that. Like yeah. I feel like Jimbo looked in the mirror and he's like, I look like Pierce Bronson today. I said that. Oh, hey, look at this good-looking guy. What's your name? Are you, are you James 007 Bond and stuff? Like he, he didn't have good mirrors. He, he, that team was not yeah. honest about what they were. The new administration is. And I think it's a little easier to be when it's not your moves and you're not tainted by all of the guys you brought in. And frankly, teams that are run well with good teams don't go looking for new front offices. They have good ones. That's how you have good teams, right? You don't have 100%. bad management that finds their way into good teams. It's it's bad management that puts you in the spot to be like, hey, we should probably find a new GM. So when you come in, your job's already kind of laid out for you. You can clean up the mess. There's some mess here for hiring you. Like, where are the cushy landing spots where it's like, hey, we're really good, and we need a GM? Like, basically only when they fire guys, or fire them, like, retire them up into, like, presidential roles. Mm-hmm. When like, they, when I'm George McPhee this. went up to president, and then... You know, McCrimmon comes into jam like that'd be an example of it. But generally speaking, if a team's good, you don't go get a new front office. Yeah, usually though, that's how it goes. It's when guys are done, they move into the presidential role, like a like a Brian Burke or somebody wants to go do yeah less less the trades, more of the high stuff with the owners and whatnot. That's about Better it. Better like, mirrors, yeah. Better mirrors there. That was uh, Dan Murphy's chat. Well, more on that uh, noon till one. There you go. Have I told you that uh, Wild Rose Brewery? Proudly brews of beer right here in Calgary. You did now. And if you wanted to sample that today, there's so many ways to do it. You go to the Taproom and Restaurant in the Curry Barracks or just go to liquor store nearby, bar, ask for your favorite Wild Rose beer. What's yours? I'm a Velvet Fog guy through and through. Like, I love a lot of the stuff, and seasonally I'll move around. Cherry Porter's a treat in the winter. That's like a ski chalet type vibes for me around the fireplace. I love know, my winter boots are, are, you know, making puddles at the front door. That that's that's cherry porter season for me, but uh, <laughs> just making uh, circuit berries all the time. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, there you go. So that and like I'm a ponderosa ghost, love that. So I, that that's like a golf cart beer for me. Oh, so good. Shorts, short sleeves. This weekend would be a ponderosa. You're folding ghost. down that uh, that windshield halfway down on the golf cart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get that breeze, get that pollen right into your face. <laughs> Hammer some ghosts. But velvet fogs, like yeah, any time of year, I'll have one of those. Yeah. Did I say one? Yeah. Well, another one after that one. Okay, good. And another one. Two of them. Uh, so, yeah, I just told you that. So, there you go. Last night was controversial. We didn't really know at the time. And, and this, is, this is what I do find interesting. It's a point that people have brought up, and I don't know that we've really hammered hard on it enough. When refs put the whistles away, because it's a huge pivotal moment in a series in the playoffs, which they always inevitably do, Go back and look at the Dallas series. Tons of penalties, four-on-four four time, like early in the series. And by the time you got to elimination games, whistles nowhere to be found. 
Like almost every series goes that way. We're now in the three ones a whole lot different than two two portion of the series, and the whistles are starting to go away. Only two minors each way yesterday, I believe. Clarify for the yeah, helm for interference, Byron for hooking, Hedman for interference, Stamkos for hooking. No coincidentals. Each team had two power plays, not a single whistle in the third period for a penalty, nor overtime. When we talk about refs putting the whistles away, I think mentally we all envision a hook not being called or like, well, that was a bit of a trip or like, come on now, you, you, you that's holding. He took his hand off and his stick and put it on his. What if too many men on the ice is like, why don't we think of that the same way? Is it just too automatic? Is it too black and white, like flipping a puck over the glass? Because I, I, I feel like we view it that way for some reason. Why is that? Like, do you, do you one, hear the point I'm making? I get it. It's one of those. It's like the subjective, like the the black and white. Like you said, the, with the puck over the glass, a lot of people are just like, why, why, why are we penalizing these guys for this and like stuff like that? But then there's the too many men, and like, none of the guys that were on the ice were. Here's how I look at it. none of the guys that were extras on the ice played a role in that play. No, but hang on. McKinnon is the, I guess McKinnon's going to the bench. It's the guy who scores the goal. He's coming off, yeah. And and if McKinnon gets there at the same time Codger's leaving, he can stand on the ice by the bench the whole time. It's not the, yeah. the picture of him standing by the bench that's the issue. It's when Nazem Codry gets wheeling and takes that puck, where's Nathan McKinnon? There's a picture that Justin Bourne put up on Twitter earlier on today. The puck's literally going in the net. Yeah, when McKinnon's and, at the bench. Yeah, he's there's a bench. Yeah, I see. That's the one they were. T- but it's no. it's. I want to see where McKinnon's at when Cadre comes on the ice. That's more what I'm interested in, and I think that's probably what John Cooper's interested in as well. Let's let's hear from the head coach of the uh, Lightning last night. John, how disappointing was it to get out of that first period with just one goal? And did that push maybe take a little bit out of you as that game went on? Um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I thought we had a really strong first. I mean, we had to lead. Um, you know, I love this league. It's, uh, it's the greatest league in the world. The people that run it are amazing. Everything about it, it's, it's like a dream come true for me, especially being a Canadian kid growing up and everything that's gone on and a lot of times when you're uh, you know I've been part of some heartbreaking losses and, and defeats to, to teams that that took us out and been with a group that just fights and fights and fights and they fought their way to to a third Stanley Cup final in a row and in a cap era when When it's so damn hard and the r- rules are put against you, because you know the, the league wants parity, and I love that about the league, and that's what makes it tougher. And this, just watch this team, what they've gone through, and the battling that's gone on, and and we're all in this together: players, coaches, refs, everybody. But it just, it just, this one's. This one's going to sting much more than others just because I think it was taken on. It was potential. I don't know. I, it's hard for me. This is going to be hard for me to speak. I'm going to have to speak. I'll speak with you tomorrow. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And I, my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. Um, I'll be available tomorrow. See ya. 
Peace. John Cooper, that was yesterday. Tomorrow's today. This is Sportsnet Today. Coming up next, we'll hear more on exactly that topic with Jeff Merrick and the Jeff Merrick Show, JM Show, baby. Nick Kiprios. We'll also hear uh, from Paul Maurice, the brand-new head coach of the Florida Panthers. And Jay Woodcroft got re-upped as well by the Oilers, a three-year deal there. That's uh, the show from 10 till noon here. Uh, that's coming up. Our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery bringing you Sportsnet today. Check them out at their tap room and restaurant in the Curry Barracks so you can find your favorite Wild Rose beers at bars, restaurants, and liquor stores around the province. Sportsnet 960. The-